This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. I feel like we should have a celebratory air horn in the back. In conversations regarding the 2023 forecast, we talked about Medicare Advantage surpassing traditional. At some point in 2023, we eked that into the forecast. I don't think we quite made it to 50%, but we got it so that the numbers would round to 50%. Very sneaky of us. But I believe in May or so that that happened. We saw MA enrollment surpass traditional. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Durin. I have my two colleagues with me today in building our annual insurance coverage estimates tool and associated content, Tori Ritchie, who's the brains and everything else behind this, and Brian Esser. Tori will handle the lion's share of the questions and the meat of this discussion. We build this every year. We have an episode like this every year where we get to talk about how well we did the year before and how we're adjusting next year's five-year projections. Based on that, Tori and Brian, thank you so much for joining. Tori, I'll go to you first. Let's refresh our listeners' memories. What are the insurance coverage estimates? Why do we build them? How does it connect to our other forecasting that we do? When is it coming out? We forecast a five-year forecast projection on insurance enrollment at the zip code level by age cohort and gender each year. The forecast that's rolling out in mid-December will span 2024 to 2029. And we take into account not only demographic factors like age, gender, but also then ethnicity as well as household income to ensure that we are appropriately allocating individuals across different financial groups. The reason why this product is important is we're experiencing quite a lot of change and transition when it comes to insurance enrollment across the nation, whether that's folks who are presently on a commercial plan and they're aging into Medicare as they creep toward retirement, whether that's because of expanded policy that enables subsidies or expanded Medicaid coverage. We're seeing transitions across financial groups there. Perhaps the biggest thing that we're contending with right now are Medicaid redeterminations in light of the expiration of the public health emergency. All of these things are considered and we help our member organizations understand how payer mix is likely fluctuating in their market so that they can think about from a payment perspective, where are those pockets of commercial patients located? How can they perhaps then approach the Medicaid and uninsured population and ensure there aren't gaps in access to care there as well. So pretend that we just bumped into each other in the elevator. We don't get to do that anymore. And I said, great, give me the scoop on the insurance coverage estimates this year. What's the quick elevator story? So three key stories coming out of the forecast this year. Number one, the public health emergency from the COVID-19 pandemic is over. That means that states are redetermining their Medicaid population, and that's going to have a major impact on coverage over the next couple of years. That's number one. Number two is we are continuing to experience rising costs in healthcare as well as inflationary pressures, and that's influencing how employers are providing health benefits to employees as well as the types of plans that those individuals are going to take on. And then finally, the aging population. This is a story that permeates all SG2 content at this point, but we are continuing to see that 65 and up patient population grow. That means Medicare is growing. And we made some pretty bold claims as far as Medicare Advantage and last year's insurance forecast that we're seeing actually come to fruition and, and play out in this year's. 
Brian, you spend more time talking to CFOs than either Tori or I do. How are they focused on what we've always talked about as payer mix shift, where we had talked about it coming, now we're in the thick of it. How do they talk about that today? And how do they use this estimate to think about how they're planning their financial future? Yeah, the CFOs are still thinking about it from a paramix side, really the governmental book of business versus commercial and where are the growth opportunities within each of those. On the governmental side, the Medicaid dynamic is fascinating and is a state-by-state situation. So we saw an overall surge in Medicaid to roughly a, a total of 87 million as of this April. And that's going to come down, we think, rather aggressively through 2024, probably into 2025, where it'll flatten out and then begin to start creeping back up again. But each state is going to take a different route towards that redetermination. And likely we're going to see a lot of churn where those who may still be eligible for Medicaid get kicked off for some administrative issue and have a potential lapse in coverage. From the CFO saying, how do I avoid that lapse in coverage, potential growth in uninsured or bad debt for those folks that should be there? And then alternatively, where are folks going? Is it commercial or Medicare as they transition off of Medicaid? Within Medicare itself, Trevor, with the fee-for-service business versus the Medicare Advantage and just the payment dynamics between those two with, I'm hearing from more CFOs, the MA side really paying less than traditional fee-for-service at this point, just based on all the administrative dynamics, audits, and not denials. So what is our exposure there? And if it's going to surge, how do I think about Medicare Advantage contracts? Should I partner more aggressively with some payers, terminate some contracts, that entire discussion is moving forward. And then lastly, the commercial book of business, is it healthy? Do we see commercial growth? A lot of places are aging, but we do see pockets of growth. Populations are moving. I was down uh, in Oklahoma where they're really trying to attract new employers and new talent based on cost of living dynamics, stipends and incentives to move to the state. So we see that across different states, whereas legacy, strong, commercially oriented populations due to housing affordability or other reasons are, are moving and moving out with maybe some compression on that commercial population in certain markets. Each piece of the payer mix portfolio has a lot going on within it. And CFOs, but really strategists writ large, need to understand all of that because that'll impact access and all the dynamics and expectations of consumers moving forward. All right, Tori, let's break it into pieces. Start with commercial. No doubt we can talk about all the reasons. That's the subsidization et cetera, and why it's so important for health systems. But from our perspective, it's really the place where we have spent the least amount of time and energy focusing the research because the other areas are moving so much. Give me the commercial story this year. The commercial story this year, the reality is commercial enrollment is a bit of a black box. We do not have enrollment data from payers for pretty obvious reasons. So often this commercial population, while they are an incredibly important cohort when it comes to healthcare utilization for hospitals, it's the bucket that we have the least information available on. That said, we are expecting to see modest increases in commercial enrollment as those Medicaid redeterminations are occurring. We do feel that there is some portion of the Medicaid population that also has a commercial plan. They just weren't captured in that data because they were on that Medicaid roll. Now that we are seeing states unwind and reevaluate Medicaid eligibility, we'll see a portion of that population shift to commercial. If we pull back another layer within the commercial bucket, we see an uptick in high deductible health plans. The reality is the rising cost of healthcare is going to continue. A recent study out of Aon projects that healthcare costs for employers may increase up to 8.5% in 2024. So employers are having to get 
a bit creative with how they provide healthcare benefits to their employees. There's certainly more demand for employers to provide healthcare benefits to employees. So we're also expecting an uptick there as we don't expect companies to strip away those benefits for folks. Yeah, that's good. Unfortunately, what we've seen is high deductible health plans have kind of done what they were intended to do. And so as unpleasant as for consumers, and I'm sure employers don't want to pass that cost on, we think it's going to continue because it has been an effective tool, if not the most graceful one. All right, let's talk about something where there is a lot of movement and dynamics, and that's Medicaid shifts. Brian talked about how much is happening at the state level, how closely we're paying attention to it. Unlike commercial, it's a place where we have pretty good data. How did we do last year? How is that impacting our forecast for the next five? Medicaid, this is an interesting one. We expected that the public health emergency would expire at some point in 2023. It did on May 11th. And on March 31st, the continuous enrollment rule expired. So that means that beginning on the 1st of April, states were able to cease continuous enrollment policies. What we've seen then is pretty steep attrition of that Medicaid patient population. Kaiser Family Foundation is doing an awesome job tracking the Medicaid enrollment and unwinding of the PHE. I looked earlier today, it is December 1st. As of November 27th, over 11 million individuals have lost Medicaid coverage in the last six or so months, coming from 8.7 million down to 11 million. That puts us at 76 or so million total enrollees. We expect to continue to see attrition here over the coming months as well. There are really two groups of folks that are being kicked off of Medicaid right now. One is folks that are genuinely ineligible. They make too much income to qualify for a Medicaid plan. The other group are folks that lose coverage due to administrative issues or the churn population, as we call them. As of now, again, based on Kaiser Family Foundation's research, 70% of folks who have lost Medicaid coverage fall into that administrative churn bucket. We can expect to see folks bouncing on and off Medicaid plans for the foreseeable future as enrollment stabilizes. And Tori, I would add in the Medicaid dynamic as it unwinds, we do see the pace varying state by state. And some of them might just be due to administrative capabilities and redetermining those that have lost it but are still eligible. Thinking about language barriers folks that have moved around, et cetera. Like, how do you get in touch with them and make sure they have that coverage? But they were also paying attention to just the economic situation the country's in. If we can get inflation down and avoid some level of recession, do we see Medicaid continue to drop as commercial grows and we see a more robust business environment emerge from that side? So there is this trade-off between the two coverages that will be impacted by how the economic health of the country is doing. And we'll be keeping an eye on that probably throughout 2024 and 25. I was thinking of talking about Medicare next, but let's talk exchanges because one thing I've noticed anecdotally is there's pretty clear, easy to understand marketing campaigns around people clearly moving on to exchange products. It's not complicated. They don't use the word exchanges. They don't use the word Obamacare or ACA. It just says, did you lose coverage recently? Here's a website and a number. Here's how much Trevor paid for a plan. Unlike we usually do in healthcare, this is in consumer speak and it's talking about the thing they care about, which is the cost of coverage. How is the expectation of patients moving from Medicaid to exchanges impacting our forecast? We've seen exchanges grow pretty steadily. Fortunately, they're off the political radar, hopefully this election cycle. What do we see in terms of growth for exchanges? In 2023, we saw record 
exchange enrollment really beyond what the three of us were expecting. And frankly, we think that that trend is going to continue for at least the next two years. A couple of things in place here, there are the Medicaid redeterminations and there are care navigators in place. So as somebody is getting booted off of Medicaid, there are entities there to capture them, say, hey, you qualify for a $10 a month plan on the exchanges. Let's get you enrolled so you don't have any gap in coverage. That's absolutely going to drive enrollment. In addition, the Biden administration has included funding for the exchanges through 2025 via the Inflation Reduction Act. That's going to increase the amount of subsidies that are available for folks on the exchanges. There's also been work to fix what was called the family glitch, which makes exchange eligibility and lower costs available for families. That was put in place in 2023 and will continue to reap the benefits of that fix through 2024 and beyond. So pretty robust growth anticipated for that insurance marketplace group, considering how small a chunk of the population that really is. Yeah, I'd pick up just one thing you said there regarding the provider role and helping folks navigate these dynamics. If we see a patient that has Medicaid, could potentially be seeing that terminated, but is eligible for an exchange or another product, just getting ahead of that discussion, because you as a provider are, are their trusted source for a lot of this information and understanding what those dynamics look like and how to guide them would not only help that patient stay insured, but also help you financially sustain the operations you're running as well. So it's a win-win to be aware of the issues facing your populations and, and giving them easy guidance on what to do moving forward. Yeah, it's really good, Brian. That's practical. Last but not least, Medicare. We've seen huge growth in MA. The first year that it bumped really big, we didn't quite keep up. We hadn't quite forecasted that growth. Last year, we were really close to getting the growth rate right. How's that continuing going forward, Tori? Trevor, I feel like we should have a celebratory air horn in the back. In conversations regarding the 2023 forecast, we talked about Medicare Advantage surpassing traditional at some point in 2023. We eked that into the forecast. I don't think we quite made it to 50%, but we got it so that the numbers would round to 50%. Very sneaky of us. But I believe in May or so that that happened. We saw MA enrollment surpass traditional. And really, there's no signal or indication that enrollment is going to slow down. Something that you keep reminding me of is consumers are continuing to prioritize costs over other aspects of health insurance until there's really much of a shakeup to dissuade somebody from participating in an MA plan. We expect that high penetration to continue. Yeah, I tried to make the case to us to see if it would stick. We've heard so much about conversations about going to term with MA payers. There's some, I'm not going to call it a big wave, but there's some consumer plus provider backlash on MA plans. And I've seen it a little bit. I've heard of social media campaigns led by individual health systems to say, don't pick plan XYZ, here's why. It lacks X benefits, here's how much you have to go through prior auth, etc. But by and large, cost is still going to be such a big driver of why consumers pick MA plans. We can have a whole separate discussion about does it actually cost them less in the long term, but in the way they can understand that decision, it's a $0 premium per month, and it looks like you're getting a lot more supplemental benefits. Payers are good at making the decision seem really easy. There might be local squabbles, but that's mostly going to be enrollees moving between products and plans. It'll be some enrollees picking traditional Medicare or traditional Medicare plus SUP. But so far, we don't think that's enough to slow down the traditional growth rate. In MA, and we might be proven wrong here, and we'll know pretty soon, but I think it's going to be more movement between 
MA providers. And it's probably a big opportunity for some of the smaller plans, because at least what I've heard is more pushback on the two giants, Humana and United. So maybe there's an opportunity for some of the smaller players to grow a little, but I don't think overall it's going to slow down growth in MA. And that's the insurance coverage estimates. That's the story of how they all blend together. Of course, each member only cares about how the story plays out in their local market. Tori, as you work with members here, how do they usually use these estimates locally? Is it changing? Is it shifting? How do you connect it to the place where your real day job building the impact to change forecast? How do members use those two things together? Any suggestions as it now leaves our hands and goes into our members' hands? Yeah, this helps our members think about utilization projections as there are changes in healthcare coverage. So too, are there then downstream implications on who's coming into their facilities? What types of services are they seeking? And perhaps where might there be gaps in care? This is incredibly helpful for them to start sizing the population, particularly that Medicaid population of if we see an uptick then in individuals who are uninsured, what are the downstream effects and how can we then anticipate what the impact is to our bottom line if we see an influx of folks transition to no pay or or to another government payer. A couple of different strategy tools here as it relates to anticipating the impact of payer mix in their market. That's great. Thanks. Brian and Tori, thank you so much for joining us. I always look forward to and welcome your perspectives on SGG Perspectives. So thanks for sharing that with our listeners today. Thanks, Trevor. Yay. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review us and or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at SG2 Healthcare. And if you want to talk more about innovative healthcare strategies, you can always email me at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Finally, SG2 is a Vizient company, and there are a bunch of Vizient podcasts that you might like. You can find them at Vizient backslash podcasts. Have a great day.